Well, hello, hello, my ambitious friends, and welcome to 2000 Books, where we bring you the most important actionable ideas from the world's greatest books for ambitious entrepreneurs. And I'm your host and former computer engineer turned entrepreneur, Manny Laya. All right. Well, hello, everyone. Today, I'm really excited to have Perry Marshall on the show. Perry is the author of 8020 Sales and Marketing, and he's one of the guys who has been talking about 8020 for a very long time. So, Perry, I'm really excited to have you on the show. Welcome. It's good to be here, and thanks for having me. And uh, people are going to learn some things today that will put money in your pocket and uh, save time, save waste, and give you a significant advantage over other marketers and other entrepreneurs. Um, it's, it's very powerful. Yes, it is very powerful. And the whole premise of 8020 uh, sales and marketing in some ways is just the understanding that there are a few key levers that you can move that can literally dramatically change your business. And uh, one of the things you talk about is that the whole 80-20 uh, principle in some ways is, is like fractals. Um, and let's talk about that a little bit, uh, maybe for those who are not engineers, because you and I are both engineers, and in fact, electrical or computer engineers. And uh, it's, uh, let's explain what fractals means and how that applies to the 80-20 principle in general. So this is, this is very applicable to entrepreneurs, and some of you won't, won't know this terminology, but you, you will when we're done. It's, it's pretty easy to pick up. When, when I was about 21 or 22, my wife came home from the library with this book, and it was on fractals, and um, I sort of knew what they were, but not really, um, and she goes, this looked like something you would think was interesting, and I and I started reading this book, and uh, fractals are patterns within patterns within patterns within patterns. And what we're going to get to in a few minutes is that, is that there are many things in business that are a pattern within a pattern within a pattern. And where you change the one pattern, you change the entire pattern. And it's very, it's multiplicative, it's exponential, um, it's very dynamic. And so this was my first time really understanding this. And so a tree has a branching shape and, you know, I can see a tree outside in my neighbor's yard and it's, you know, it's quite tall and, and, and there's the branches, but I can zoom in on a, a limb, zoom in on a branch, zoom in on a twig, zoom in on a leaf, and I can keep zooming and zooming even with the leaf. I can get a, um, a magnifying glass or even a microscope and the, the branching pattern repeats and repeats and repeats over and over and over again down to literally the cellular level, okay? And so a tree is a very complex structure that actually is more like a fairly simple program that just repeats and repeats and repeats and repeats. And what this book was explaining was that there's a whole world of things that scientists categorized as chaotic, which means they're, they're somewhat predictable, but they're not entirely predictable. So weather, we all know that you get more than about two or three weeks out, you cannot predict the weather. You just can't, right? But we all know what shape clouds usually are, right? And we all, we know that it's going to be like within certain ranges, right? And I grew up in Nebraska and you know, two or three times a year, there's going to be 
at least a tornado watch or a tornado warning. And, and you know what a, a tornado looks like, even though you don't know where it's going to land. And, and there are many things that work this way. And, and like a crack, if you have a crack on the windshield in your car, there's usually um, little other cracks that come out of the side of it. And then there's little cracks that come out of those. And then there's little smaller cracks. And it's just like the tree. So connecting that, like if we think about the 80-20 principle and like reiterating that 80-20 and then reiterating that 80-20, if you think in business, if you think in marketing, maybe maybe we set the stage here for someone who has never heard of 80-20 principle, how it works. And then maybe we explain mm -hmm. how there is an 80-20 inside of 80-20 and then there's an 80-20 inside of that 80-20, which is inside of another 80-20. So let's well, that's maybe un unpack it uh, for that business owner who may not know about 8020 just yet. Yes, and so 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 I I suddenly saw this everywhere. Rivers and trees and cracks and sand dunes and 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 I went, and the next morning I went out in my car and there were these crystal it was a cold November morning and there were these old crystals growing on the roof of my car and I could see the crystal were patterns inside a pattern and all of a sudden my head exploded it was like oh my goodness this is everywhere, and I've never not been able to see this. So this brings us to 80-20 because I read the book 80-20 Principle by Richard Koch, which is a great book. Great book. And on page 14 of this book, he says, 80-20 has a lot to do with chaos theory and fractals. And then he just moved on. He didn't say anything else about it. And all of a sudden, I was like, wait a minute. Does that mean... 80-20 is a pattern inside a pattern inside a pattern. Oh my goodness. If that's true, and I was, I was in a coffee shop and I jumped up and I ran out to my car and I drove home and I, I had been in business at this point for about a year and a half. Now that's a very fragile, interesting time in business. Usually it takes about two years for most businesses to get their sea legs right? Usually prior, prior to the two-year mark, you're just kind of wobbly and you're, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. And so, you know, things were starting to get going with my business. And I ran home and I get all, all these papers and reports and, and printouts and stuff. And I was laying on the floor. I got out a calculator and I'm like, okay, so does that mean there's an 80-20 inside every 80-20? It was like, oh my word, it's true. So let's talk about what is 80-20 and then what did I discover? So Vilfredo Pareto, 100 years ago, economist from Italy, he figured out no matter what country he studied, no matter what kind of government they had, 20% of the people had 80% of the money and 80% of the people had the other 20% of the money, which means the haves had 16 times more money per person than the have-nots. And he found that this was true all over the place. And I, I heard about it uh, reading a, in a sales book. And I was like, is that right? And I, I printed out a customer report. And I went down through the report. And I was like, well, I'll be darned. When I sort them from top to bottom, and I start at the top, and I start adding them up, when I'm 20% through the list, that's 80% of the orders that came in right there. Wow, that's... That's really interesting. But what Richard was saying was, yeah, well, yeah, that's true. But there's also 
a top 20% of the top 20%. And that produces 80% of the 80%. Okay, so that means if I print out a sales report, when I get 4% into my customer list, if I've got 100, 100 customers, four of them should give me about 64% of the sales. Mm-hmm. And 20% of the 20% of the 20% gives you 80 of the 80, the 80. So that would mean one of the hundred customers should be giving you about half the money, Mm -hmm. 50%. Mm -hmm. And so I read this book, I ran home, I went through them. I'm like, oh my word, this is way more powerful than I ever thought it was. Now there's another thing that I realized too. This isn't just an economics law. This isn't just a sales rule of thumb. It's actually a law of nature. Because mm-hmm. when I read that fractals book, they were everywhere. They were in the veins in your, in your body, that branching pattern. It was in the neurons in your brain. It was the size of craters on the moon. It was the size of grains of sand on the beach. And I'm like, oh, my word, 80-20 is the math of chaos, it's the math of unpredictable things. So like if you own a restaurant and it's a reasonably successful restaurant, you might know that 85 customers are going to come in for lunch plus or minus a few, but you don't know who they will be. But 80-20 tells you, you can be 80% sure who 20% of them are. Right. And that's the that's that's such a fascinating thing about eighty twenty um as we keep drilling down. So just to kind of reiterate the math for those who may not have taken note of it, eighty twenty percent of the results are coming from eighty percent of the effort or twenty percent of the results are coming from eighty percent of the customers, but then the eighty percent of the eighty percent, which is sixty-four percent that result is coming from twenty percent of twenty percent, which is the four percent. But not only that right. 80% of 80% of 80%, which is 64 multiplied by 0.8, which is around 52%, is actually coming from 20% of 20% of 20%, which is 4% multiplied by another 0.2, which is 0.8%. So 52% of your results are coming from 0.8% of your effort in some ways, or we can make it really simple. 50% of your efforts, 50% of your results are coming from that 1% effort, or 50% of your results are coming from that 1% customer, whichever way you want to look at it. And that is when it gets really fascinating because now you just need to find out where's that 1% to grow your business by 50%. That's, that's right. And so this affects everything you do, okay? So it affects the way you hire salespeople. It affects the way you manage Facebook campaigns or Google AdWords campaigns. It, changes how you manage social media. It changes how you edit your web pages. You know, if so, like every, probably everybody that's ever involved, been involved in online marketing has had a conversation with their team members. Hey, we need a new website. And it's like, well, we have 186 pages on our website and that's going to take somebody four months. But okay. Yeah, that's true. But 50% of the traffic is on 1% of the pages. So Mm -hmm. half the traffic is on two pages, right? So you can accomplish 50% of the goal with 1% of the effort. 
somebody could go modify those two pages and, or maybe test them out or something and you can ignore the rest of them. Right. And, mm-hmm. and 80, 20 is usually about what you don't do or it's what you say no to. Mm. Okay. And, and, and this, it completely turns sales upside down. So let me, let me tell you a story. So um, my friend, John Paul Mendocha was 17 years old. He lived in Denver and he dropped out of high school and he moved to Las Vegas because he wanted to become a professional gambler. He thought that sounded really romantic. Um, and so he hitchhiked to Las Vegas and he started playing poker for a living in Vegas. And he, so he's living by his wits, 17 years old, fake ID, going in and out of casinos. And after a few weeks of this, he goes, wow, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. And he goes to a gambling bookstore and he bumps into this guy named Rob. And Rob runs a professional gambling ring. And John says, hey, do you think you could teach me what you guys do? And he says, well, for a percentage of your winnings, I could teach you what we do. And I was like, oh, okay. So they shake on it. So they have a deal. Jump in the Jeep, John. We're going for a ride. So they, they get in the Jeep, and they're going down the highway. And John says, okay. So how do I win more poker games? And Rob says, the way you play more poker games and win is you play with people who are going to lose. And those people are called marks. You want the kid that got $5,000 from his grandmother's inheritance money in Wichita, Kansas, and he flew to lost wages and he thinks he's going to get rich. Like you want that kid you don't want like other professional poker players. And he goes, okay, so where do I find that kid? And he goes, here, I'll show you. (laughs) And he pulls into the parking lot of a strip club and they go in there. And um, shall we say there was lots of distractions in the strip club and there's rock and roll and there's people drinking and there's people arguing and all this stuff. And Rob sits down with John at this table Rob always carried a sawed-off shotgun with him everywhere he went. And he pulls a sawed-off shotgun out of his jacket. He puts it under the table, and he opens the chamber, and then he slams it shut. So it goes, and that's called racking the shotgun. And, And it makes this noise in this loud, noisy club full of distractions. And there's a few people, like there's some biker dudes over there on one side. They're like, hey. Who made that noise, right? They, they heard it. They, they know what that sound is. They, like, trouble's brewing in here, baby. Mm-hmm. And the owner comes over, and he's like, hey, what's going on over here? And Rob knew the owner. He goes, hey, it's all right. Don't worry about us. We're not causing any trouble. Just teaching the lad a lesson. John, did you see those biker dudes turn their heads when they heard that sound? And he's like, yeah. And he says, don't play poker with them because they're not marks. Play poker with everybody else. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now that is, I call that all my, my readers, we call it racking the shotgun and everything you do in marketing is racking the shotgun. You send an email, 
Mm-hmm. And some people open it and some people don't rack the shotgun. Some people click on the link. Some people don't rack the shotgun. Some people unsubscribe and some people don't. Some people sign up for the webinar. Some people buy the thing. Some, some people buy the expensive thing. All of those things are racking the shotgun. And all of those things are 80-20. Because when people say yes to something, mm-hmm. 20% of them will say yes four more times. And 20% of them will say yes four more times. Mm. Okay. And so or 80, 4x 20, more times, is it? Or Right. Like they'll buy four times as much mm-hmm. or they'll read four times more emails or they'll get on four more webinars or they'll come to more seminars or they'll buy more shotguns or they'll buy more shotgun shells or they'll go on a retreat or they'll go camping, like whatever it is, is it's the few, mm-hmm. it's, it's the few that dominate everything. And so most people think about average, like, look, what the average customer does is almost irrelevant. Like, like the average customer goes into a restaurant like once a year. Well, you don't make that much money from the people that go once a year. You make 80% of the money from the 20% who come to the restaurant 10 times a year, right? The one, like the regulars, right? And the waitresses know their names. That's, that's where you actually make most of your money. So, so, so if we talk about, let's say, someone who has a list of 10,000, maybe 100,000 email subscribers, mm-hmm. and uh, we apply these principles, and they come to you and say, Perry, I want to double my business this year. And I have this list of 100,000, I get 20% open rates, maybe 2% click-through rates. What should I do here? So what's the, what's the process? What do you think? We, how do we approach this whole thing? Well, if, if you have 100,000 email addresses, I can pretty much guarantee you that 80% of them are nearly dead or non-existent. Hmm. Okay? And if you're, mail, if you're emailing 100,000 people indiscriminately, then... 80% of them aren't even being opened and Yahoo notices it and Google notices it and all the email providers notice it. Okay. And like, well, this person has uh, a not very responsive list. And so your stuff is more likely to go in the spam box. Right? So the first thing you do is you go, well, most of the time you should only be emailing the top 20%. So you're immediately chopping it down. Okay. Now we, now we got 20,000, right? Well, mm-hmm. Um, 80% of the 20,000 aren't going to do much. They mm-hmm. might click on a link every now and then. Um, they might do something every now and then, but most of the time they don't do anything at all. And your real list is the 4,000, which is the 20% of the 20,000. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now, so you, you say, you say you have a list of a hundred thousand people. Well, actually, you have 5,000 people that are interested is what you've got, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, now we look, so we look at four, the four or 5,000. Those are your real email subscribers. They're actually reading. They're paying attention. They're interested. They open most of the emails. They click on stuff. They're interacting. They post blog comments and all that. Okay, so probably 20% of them are actually going to buy something. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we're, we're down to 800 actual customers from 100,000 
people that were on your email list, right? And 80% of the money you make from the customers is going to be 20% of the 800, which is what is um, 20% of the 800 is 160 people, right? So 80% of your income is going to come from 200 people mm-hmm. and 50% of your income is going to come from the 4,000. Well, what's 50% of your income will come from 1% of the list. Um, yeah, I mean, you're down, to, you're down to dozens of people, okay, mm-hmm. that like half your money is going to come from dozens of people. And so, and so the, the saying, I got 100,000 people on my email list, is that may not be deceptive from the standpoint of maybe getting people to like or getting people to click on something. But if you're actually talking about the money, it's mm-hmm. very misleading. Mm-hmm. And so m- most people, uh, what makes their, their business work is a much smaller part of their business than they really realize. Mm. Um, and, and it also means most people are ignoring their best customers, mm. right? Like they're almost neglecting them. And then they're paying attention to these 100,000 people who barely exist. Mm. Okay. And, and almost everybody does that. Um, and what 8020 says is you can make large amounts of money from small numbers of people. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot easier to make 36 people happy than it is to make 100,000 people happy. Mm-hmm. So in this situation, as we're delving deeper into this person's uh, email list, um, what instead of indiscriminately emailing, he has to now start segmenting the audience so that he knows who is responding to what. And, but I'm saying, Perry, we need to double our business. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out, okay, what should I, should I have? Um, um, what kind of offers do I create? What kind of stuff do I need to do in order to double this business? Because this is the state of the list. So what, how do I approach this whole thing? How do I approach 80, 20, to double my business. So there is a chapter in my book, 8020 Sales and Marketing, called The Principle of the $2,700 Espresso Machine. Mm-hmm. And 8020 says that human beings are very predictable in large numbers. And so here's an example of that. If you have a thousand people a week who buy a $5 latte at Starbucks, 80-20 says that 20% of them want to spend $20 and 20% of them want to spend $80 and 20% of them want to spend $300 and 20% of them want to spend $1,500. So, what, so if, you, if you do the arithmetic, for every 1,000 people who buy a $5 latte, one will buy a $2,700 shining, gleaming, stainless steel espresso machine and they sell one. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's there. And you can almost guarantee one out of a thousand of those latte buyers will buy it. Okay. Now $2,700, that's like what 500 times more expensive than the $5 latte, right? Okay. So one out of a thousand people will spend 500 times more money. Mm-hmm. That's the answer right there. Okay, so 
you've got these people, you've got this list. And last year you sold them, you sold a hundred dollar product or you sold a thousand dollar product or whatever you had. 80, 20 says that a small percentage of those people will spend 10 times as much money, a hundred times as much money because they have a bigger itch that needs to be scratched, right? So mm-hmm. a latte is a $5 itch, mm-hmm. right? And an espresso machine is a $2,700 itch, right? And, and you know, what's funny is after they buy that espresso machine, they're going to come back the next morning and they're going to buy another latte. Mm-hmm. And, and this is what I call the principle of the hyper-responsive customers. Everybody has a small percentage of customers who will buy everything they have, everything you sell, okay? And they're easier to sell to, and they're much more pleasant. And what most of us just instinctively do is we spend all our time fighting with the ones that don't want to buy anything, (laughs) okay? Or like getting the new people. Now, you do need to get new people. You do need to get more customers. I mean, there's no question about that. But the easy way to make money is to do a really good job with your existing customers. So most businesses need to come up with an espresso machine. Okay. Mm. So if you're a graphic designer and you typically do these thousand dollar projects, you need to put together a package that's 10 or $20,000 and it's probably much more elaborate where you're doing a whole lot more of the work. Like, Maybe, maybe normally you just do this certain part of, you know, maybe you just do layout and maybe the $20,000 project is, well, you do, you do the text, you do the copy, you print the brochures, you deliver the brochures to the conference. I mean, maybe it's a much more inclusive thing. Okay. There's all kinds of ways that it could be, but I will guarantee you one fifth of people will spend four times the money. One fifth of people will spend four times the money. And so there's needles in the haystacks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the way you find the needles is by racking the shotgun. And I want to point out, you don't have to get new customers in, in order to find this money. Starbucks doesn't have to go get any new people in order to sell an espresso machine. They just need to sell to the crowd they have. Now there's a lot of, there's a lot of, competitors to Starbucks where like if you go to Seattle, you ever go to Seattle or San Diego or like one of these really hipster kind of cities. Okay. I'm in San Diego. Right. Right. You go to this hipster and they're doing the pour overs and like some guy with a goatee and it's super artistic and they get all this art on the walls and you can tell they're, they're poor as dirt, right? Like their, their car has muffler tape all over everything. Right they're not selling an espresso machine. Mm. And, and, and it, it literally could be that all of the profit in the business is from the espresso machines and, and that the lattes just keep the lights on. That's all they do. They don't actually really make anybody money. And this, this is how most businesses actually work is 80% of the business just keeps the lights on. Some of it even loses money. And there's a part at the tippy top that makes almost all the profit. This is almost always true in just about any business you can think of. So going back to our list, going back to our list of 100,000 people and uh, 
figuring out how to double their business. Now, what we're saying is, you know, we keep racking the shotgun or we keep, you know, initially we make offers. Initially we, you know, send out emails and try to learn about the audience and see their behavior. But over time, we keep on segmenting. We keep on finding the most responsive customers who are buying the most, who are buying again and again. And then as we keep on doing that, maybe we find a segment of 300 or 1,000 or something like that, or maybe a segment of 200 people or 160 people who are the most responsive, and then we make an offer exclusively to them. Is that a very high-end offer exclusively to them? Well, it may be. Now, you could offer it to more people, but 80% of the buyers are going to be the hyper-responsive people. Here's Mm -hmm. a way to think of it. So, first of all, when you have a list, you have to ask the question. You go, okay, every time I ask people to do something and they say no, I am subtracting some points from the emotional bank account, okay? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm degrading my relationship with them every time I ask them and no, and I ask them and no, okay? And so, first of all, you want to restrict, like, if you have some $20,000 offer and you have a, most of these people have only spent $50, you're probably hurting 95% of your list by offering them that really expensive thing that they're never, ever going to buy. So there's certainly a big part of that list that never sees that offer. There's no point, okay? Secondly, you start to think differently about those 160 customers, you go, okay, how do I spend more money to build the relationship with these people? Mm-hmm. Do I send them Christmas cookies at Christmas time? Do I send them special gifts? Do I like, and, and it's not just spending money on marketing to them, but actually investing money in the relationship. How can I over-deliver to these people? Can I give them extra care, extra attention? Could there be a VIP support hotline where those customers can get tech support easier than everybody else? Can I have the equivalent of a frequent flyer club? Okay, that's exactly what a frequent flyer program is. It's the top 20% or top 4% of an airline's customers who fly the most, right? So it's the 5% of the, of, of the customers that do two-thirds of the flying, right? And we're going to give them a special lounge in the airport. And these lounges are not cheap, right? The real estate in the airport is expensive and the drinks are expensive and the snacks are expensive. But they're going to do it, right? Because, like, United Airlines, two-thirds of their money comes from 5% of these people, Mm-hmm. Right? So you want them flying that, not Delta, not Southwest, right? So how can you create a, a, a deluxe experience for your best customers? Any, any way that it might make sense, right? Maybe you go, hey, you know, it's the end of the year. I've got $5,000 here. How, I, how can I spend my $5,000? Well, I'm going to send them a book or I'm going to send them, a, send them flowers or I'm going to send them some chocolates or or whatever, right? And and like people do appreciate that. Like when you do thoughtful things, like well, think you know, you you send them a letter and it says, "Hey, Merry Christmas, Happy Thanksgiving. I'm really glad you're my customer." And you don't ask them for anything. Right? Hey, thanks for being my customer. Right? 
really, most people don't do that. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to keep going back to that because I'm trying to unearth the, the, the cookie here and trying to figure out what that person can do. Maybe they have an initial offer of $100 or something, but we're talking about an offer inside, an offer inside, or a higher end to a higher end to a higher end offer here for that highly responsive target audience. So our job in some ways is to nurture these people better and at the same time, figure out the best possible offer we can make to them. And that's, you know, maybe if I'm emailing or if, if it's an email list, I don't have their physical addresses, but there's maybe other ways I can still make their experience better or make them feel special in some ways and uh, continue this process. So here's a phrase that I've always found very useful. Sell results, not procedures. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a classic famous marketer, uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis said that once. Now, what does that mean? So, so it's some version of, I don't want to catch a fish, give me a fish. Mm-hmm. Of course, and there's always... There's always degrees of this, right? So there's, there's teaching a person to catch the fish and they, they get in a boat and then they go catch the fish or they catch the fish, but you give them a boat too, okay? Or you take them out in the boat and you help them catch the fish or you get in a boat and you catch the fish and you bring it back and you give them a fish or you bring back the fish and then you cook the fish and then you give them the fish. And maybe you give them a cooked fish inside a, a container at a store. Or maybe you give them a cooked fish on a table in a restaurant. You, you see how there's like all of these stages. So you look mm-hmm. at your customers and you go, okay, they've been buying they've been buying a fish like at the grocery store. And it's already pre-cooked and you just throw it in the microwave. But how do I give them a restaurant experience instead, right? Mm-hmm. Like, well, the restaurant, you know, fish at a restaurant is four times expensive at least, maybe 10 times more expensive it is at the grocery store, right? And so, the, so you just say, okay, so what I'm selling is not what the customer really wants. What do they really want, mm-hmm. right? And it's usually pretty easy to answer the question. And then you go, wow. That's actually kind of hard. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. but you know what? If you offer it, they'll almost certainly buy it. Mm-hmm. It's almost guaranteed that, that they will. And so it takes a whole bunch of uncertainty out of the whole marketing equation. Yeah, there's something very interesting you said in the book that I've been thinking about again and again. You said that, you know, selling to the right person is better than all sorts of sales techniques and marketing techniques and negotiation techniques and all that stuff. And that's so yes. hard to conceptualize, but it's, you know, I'd love to talk about that because it's so good. Yes. Yes. So like marketers, especially if you're really into it. Okay. We love our, our copywriting and our headlines and our Google ads and our social media and our offers and our guarantees. But you know what? Having the, the right person in front of you is more important than any of that, okay? Mm-hmm. 
And, and, and that actually brings me to a great thing called the five power disqualifiers. And these are, these are the five things that are always true anytime you sell anybody anything. And these tell you who the right person is, okay? So these five things are always true every time anybody has ever sold anything on planet Earth. Mm-hmm. Number one, they had the money, <laughs> Okay. If they don't have the money, they are not buying no matter what, no matter how good your product is, no matter how good the marketing is. And it sounds so stupidly obvious, but I'm telling you, I have spent weeks and years trying to sell people to stuff. They didn't have the budget. They didn't have the money. It's not approved, right? Their budget's all spent, whatever, and all the kumbaya and standing in a circle and singing songs or anything, I, not going to work, right? They have the money. Number two, they have a bleeding neck. Mm-hmm. What do I mean by that? Well, have you ever gone to the emergency room and like you got a broken arm and you think you're having an emergency and the person at the counter doesn't really think you're having an emergency? They're like, she goes, okay, here's a clipboard, fill out these forms and we'll call you when we're ready to see you. And you sit there for two hours, right? But if a guy comes in and blood is squirting out of his aorta onto the ceiling and he's got a gunshot wound, they're not going to make him sit and fill out forms and what read good housekeeping magazine, right? He's, they're going to see him. Okay. Bleeding neck. People buy things that are urgent. Mm-hmm. Okay, people spend money when they need to cure a disease. Okay, they don't want to spend money to prevent a disease, but they sure will. Okay, so can you cure something? Okay, can you make the bleeding stop? Number three, they buy into your unique selling proposition. I much prefer the term definitive selling proposition. Mm -hmm. Like, most unique selling propositions aren't all that unique, like fresh hot pizza and delivered in 30 minutes or less guaranteed that's Domino's. That's a really famous example. Well, there's nothing unique about fresh hot pizza delivered in 30 minutes. You can get that from 10 different restaurants. You know, it's unique. Um, I can pull out my phone. I get this app and a car will come and pick me up and take me anywhere I want to go in five minutes. That's a definitive selling proposition, okay? Number four, the ability to say yes. Many times we sell to people who can tell us no, but they can't say yes. Mm-hmm. You have a meeting with the engineer, and he thinks it's cool, but now he has to go to his boss, and he has to go to his boss. He can't tell you yes, but he can tell you no. Well, you're probably talking to the wrong guy. You should be talking to the guy that can say yes. Maybe it's the engineering manager. Maybe it's the vice president of manufacturing, right? I mean, or, or like a kitchen remodel. You're not selling to the husband if the wife's not there. Are you kidding? Right? Okay. Number five, it fits their overall plans. Mm-hmm. Now, this tells you, okay, so have the money, bleeding neck, buy into your USP, ability to say yes, fits their overall plans. Those five things tell you who your customer is. And, in, and if you go through them in detail, 
you probably see a very clear picture. Oh, this is like a 45 year old guy and he's in charge of a department and he buys these certain kind of parts and he's got this, he's got a really bad problem and here's what the problem is. And you can define that person exactly. Now the way the, the five powers of qualifiers come from John Mendoza. He's the gambling guy I told you about. Well, he did that for three and a half years. And one day he's sitting in a restaurant booth with two other guys and they're both, they're all in the gambling scene. Okay. And these two guys are having an argument. Yes, you will. No, I won't. Yes, you will. No, I won't. And out comes a Glock and like, yes, you will. And John's watching this and he's like, dude, if you don't get out of this place, like you're going to get a bullet through your head. This is way too dangerous. And he left and he got a job. He got a job selling these computer parts and his boss, uh, they'd gone to a trade show or something and he had these 206 sales leads and he puts them on John's desk. And he said, John, go see all these people and sell them our product. And now John's has spent three and a half years as a gambler in Vegas. And John doesn't have a lot of formal sales experience, but he's got a lot of street smarts at this point. He's like, there ain't no way 206 people are going to buy this. Okay. I'm probably going to get 10. So how do I like find the 10? He's like, I'm not going to drive all over Southern California meeting with 206 people. That's a waste of time. And so he came up with the power disqualifiers Mm -hmm. and he would call him on the phone and he would go through the list. Okay. So is you like, do you have a bleeding neck? Do you have the budget for this? Would you, does this sort of solution actually fit what you're trying to do? And he ends up meeting with 12 people and he sells six. Mm. Okay. And then his boss is like, well, Hey, wait a minute. You know, there's 190 people that you never went and saw. And he's like, no, and I'm not going to because I went through the five-power disqualifiers and they don't have the budget or it doesn't fit their plans or, or whatever. And now look at what, what we just did. We flipped sales upside down. And instead of being a convincing people process, oh, please, will you buy for me? Now we're going, well, so you have the money, you, you – do you have a problem? Like, what is your problem? Like, is this an urgent problem? Not an urgent problem. Oh yeah. Next year would be fine. It's like, okay, bye. I'll talk to you next year. Mm -hmm. And you're not, you're not shoving anything down anybody's throat, right? It's a disqualification process, not a convincing people process. And this takes all this stress off your plate. You don't have to do this. Mm -hmm. You don't have to convince these people. You rack the shotgun and you talk to the ones that turn their heads. Right. So in some ways, like sales being, you know, a disqualification process fits into the framework of 80-20 is because there's a very few, there's a very small percentage of your prospects who actually want to buy, who want to um, indulge in whatever you have to offer. But you could spend a lot of time and effort and energy being on calls with people who will just waste your time. So if you are able to disqualify, you're much better off in the sales process. Right. And so what most people do is they spend 80% of their time on the 80% of the people that are only going to spend 20% of the money. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you end up with 
timid salespeople who have skinny kids. Okay. <laughs> if you've, if you focus on the 20%, they're going to spend 80% of the money. Guess what? 20% of them will spend 64% of the money and 20% of them will spend, um, you, you know, 50% of the money. And so you, you actually have these very high levels of leverage in these very small numbers of people. And when you, so when you take resources away from the bad side of the equation and you feed them into the good side, you get a 16x improvement on the use of your time. Yeah. And then it becomes easy to make a good living. And, and that's, uh, that's, what, that's what I want you to know. I mean, that's why we're talking here. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the key. The, the leverage there is the key to understanding 80-20 in some ways because it's not just one side of the equation where we realize, okay, 80% of the results are coming from 20%. But there's the leverage part. If we just focused on the 20%, we're leveraging our effort by 4X. And if we just focused on 20% or 20%, we're leveraging our effort by 16X in some ways. And that's the crucial understanding. So um, the more we can leverage our efforts by narrowing the funnel, or I don't know if I call it narrowing the funnel, but identifying the, the 80% or the 80% or the 80%, um, the more exponential or the more, the higher the return on our effort becomes or in an exponential scale in some ways. That's right. And then uh, there's a last piece, which is 20% of your skills produce 80% of the results too. Okay. And, and so I really started noticing this because I have consulted in at least 300 industries Um thousands of sales and marketing people. And I started seeing a pattern. And what I saw is that there is no such thing as one kind of salesperson. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like we, we have this idea, you know, you listen to these sales training tapes and you always have this idea of this closer and this negotiator. Well, there's actually many ways to sell. There are, there are people who sell with, spreadsheets and numbers and charts and graphs and proof. Okay. There are people that sell by getting up on a stage and telling stories that make you cry. Okay. There are people that I would call hostage negotiators, mm -hmm. you know, and you just throw them in a situation and they figure it out. There are people who sit in their cave for three months and they write copy and they build out all these autoresponder sequences and product launches and stuff. And, they, and then they press send they press a button and it all goes out there, right? These are all very different kinds of personalities. And so I, I realized like there's people, I've got customers, they're trying to be professional copywriters and they can never be professional copywriters because they're a hostage negotiator. And there's people trying to be hostage negotiator that can never do that because they're actually a copywriter. And so I created this thing called the marketing DNA test. And we sell it for $37, but there's, all, there's a free link, in a, a backdoor inside the 8020 book where you can go take it. And it, it tells you whether you're a hostage negotiator or a copywriter or a numbers, charts, and graphs person. Or, and um, I've had so many people say, wow, this nailed me. 
in fact, literally a third of the people who take it, we, we, we ran a survey for a while. Literally a third of the people said, this nailed me. This was exactly right. And two thirds, uh, actually it was a 95% said is pretty close. And, and so like I have a guy named Josh Earl. He was a computer programmer. He was writing Josh. apps. Oh yeah. He was writing apps for a living. Mm-hmm. And the marketing DNA test said you could be a good copywriter. And 18 months later, he was making a six figure income writing copy and he was no longer a software engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got a lot of stories where people got into their top 20% zone of their talent. And look, when, when you have a talent zone, like if you're, if you're a good writer, you'll make five times as much, you'll mm-hmm. return on investment by like, if you're going to spend a thousand dollars, if you spend a thousand dollars being a better writer, even though you're already a good writer, you'll get a five to one on your money. If you spend your thousand dollars trying to be a better hostage negotiator, you'll only make $200 on your money, right? So you make 16 times more when you focus your training on your talent zones. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I really want to encourage people to take the marketing DNA test. Again, it's, there's a free link inside the book and we've had well over 10,000 people take this test. I don't even know how many now. It's a lot. And um, almost everybody says, wow, this is, this really helps me understand. It helps you understand why you've been successful so far. Mm-hmm. It'll probably help you understand why you failed at certain things. And I'll tell you what you can do better in the future to narrow your focus on, okay, this is how I sell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Josh and John Sonmez are good buddies of mine from Simple Program. Oh, yeah. We didn't yeah. we didn't plan this beforehand, so here we are. You know, <laughs> we're talking about those guys. Um, yeah, um, this this is fascinating because now what we're talking about there's the leverage inside the leverage inside the leverage in the sense not only focusing on who are the people you need to sell to and focusing on the but now also focusing on your own strengths and leveraging those as a way to get even more. Um, bang for your buck or even more leverage. There's constantly more and more and more uh, levers to pull in some ways. Um, so I think we're coming close on time here, Perry. Thank you. Uh, I, I've really enjoyed this conversation so far, but I would love, love for us to maybe, you know, close this off by telling people three specific things they can do if they are in their business today. You know, maybe they're a six-figure business. You, you have seen a ton of those. What are those three things from the 80-20 point of view that they can look at, they should do, they should analyze or think about that they can take that, those ideas and apply in their business today and then uh, tell us where to find you and all the good stuff? Okay, first thing, build an espresso machine. Mm. Okay, if you're teaching your customers to fish, ask, how can I bring them a fish? Okay, that's, because you can, you can charge four times as much for it, okay? Mm-hmm. Number two, take the marketing DNA test and really take it seriously and figure out what is it you're going to stop doing. Mm-hmm. I'm not giving you more stuff to do. I'm giving you less stuff to do, okay? Number three is you need to fire a customer or a client, 
I, okay, I stood up in front of, and I don't mean in a mean way, okay? But I, I stood up and uh, I was a keynote speaker at a, at a conference for certified public accountants once. And I said, okay, so you guys do people's taxes. How many of you, you got this customer and they don't really pay you all that much money, but they give you this horribly disorganized shoebox full of receipts and they email you 14 times every day and they're always, they're late on everything and they chew chew up all kinds of time. And everybody's like, Oh yes, yes, yes. I have that customer. And I said, listen, send them a letter. Hey, I had a meeting with my partners and we're changing the focus of our business. And there are some customers that we won't be able to serve anymore. And unfortunately we won't be able to handle your taxes this year. Um, but we'll be happy to, you know, give you all your stuff and, and refer you to another accounting firm. Thank you very much for your business. Okay. And the instant they do that, they get a raise. Okay. Because they're losing money servicing their customer. They're spending time servicing this customer. They don't need to. And I would suggest that at least, at least three to 5% of your customers are losing you money you'll actually have more money in your pocket with less work to do just by getting rid of them. Mm -hmm. That's my three piece of advice. Awesome. Espresso machine, marketing DNA and fire, fire a bad client. Perfect. So Perry, this has been so educational. It's been a lot of fun. Tell our listeners where to find you, where to find the book, where to find the marketing DNA test and all that good stuff. You can find all of that if you go to sell8020.com, S-E-L-L 8020.com. It will take you to 8020 Sales and Marketing. We sell the book on our website for a penny plus shipping. So that's seven bucks in the U.S., 14 international. This book will change your life. And when you come to that page, sign up, buy the book, and then watch what happens. Watch how we do our emails. Watch how we do our upsells. Watch how we put our shopping cart together. Watch the language we use. Watch what happens next. What happens next? What happens next? And yes, of course, read the book. But watch how we sell it. Watch how we teach around it. You'll learn a lot. And you'll, you'll get a link to the marketing DNA test. And um, it, it will totally change your life. Uh, the, this book has more than 400 Amazon reviews, read the reviews. It's, they are rave reviews. So um, it really will change your life. Yep. And I can attest to the book. It's, it's one of those books that I keep going back to. I keep reading again and again, both this one and the 80-20 principle, 80-20 rule by Richard Koch, because it's one of those things where there's so much um, thinking that I have to do about the different principles that it's, not easy to do it in one sitting. It's almost like every time you go through your iteration and through your business and you come to a new juncture and you start thinking about it from a different perspective and you get new insights and new perspectives. So I actually like the physical copy for that purpose, not so much the Kindle or the audio version. So highly recommend you guys get it, get the physical copy from Perry in that case. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's been great being on and um, I'm honored by your presence. I really appreciate being here today. Thank you, Perry. It's, it's been a joy for me as well. It's always fun to talk about stuff like this. So thank you very much uh, for being here.